All right, church, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings, all right, 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to say hello to other Western North Carolina campuses, man, so excited as we kind of begin in these stages, these early stages of kind of emerging from the last year and the pandemic, ministries will begin to kick back off again, and so just great job on your flexibility, great job on ministering to your communities uh, as we've kind of walked through this last year, so again, great, great job, just make sure you uh, pay attention, there'll be emails as we kind of... As things kick off or as things get taken away that we no longer need, just make sure you're paying attention to that. But whether you're online or on site, thank you for tuning in or being here today. Uh, If you are online, let me give you a special shout out to a few folks. Tracy from Candler, North Carolina, just around the corner. All right. Uh, Holly from Clyde, North Carolina. John from Waynesboro, Georgia. And then Richard, we are jealous because you are at St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. All right. So if you are on spring break, uh, which I know I think all of our school systems are at the beginning or the end of spring break. All right, we're jealous of you, but we love you anyway. So if you're tuning in on a beach, all right, go ahead and uh, and take that and go to First Kings. Here's what we're going to do. Wherever you are, whoever you are, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of differences at our church today. Uh, there are a ton of differences. We've got uh, you've got education level differences. You've got family background differences. Uh, you have got uh, income level differences. You've got skin color differences. You've got all these different kinds of differences at our church today. But one thing we all have in common, every single one of us, is we have all made some dumb decisions. We have made some bonehead calls before. Stuff we wish we could forget. Stuff we hope nobody ever finds out about. Money we wish we had not spent. Relationships we wish we had have stayed out of. Invitations we wish we had not accepted. Phone calls we wish we had have never returned. Now, some of those bad decisions, the sum total and the sum consequences of those bad decisions, they just embarrass us. Others of those bad decisions, some of those bad decisions go far beyond just embarrassing us. They scar us. They're still a huge part of your life now. And so the question usually comes up is like, how could I have been so naive? How could I have been so dumb? How did I miss the warning signs? And what we're going to see in a text today is I would say 95% of those scars could have been avoided and the future ones can be avoided if we will just take seriously the text we're going to look today. I would say almost every case of adultery, every case of addiction, every case of bankruptcy, you know what, if I had just heeded the warning signs, those things could have been avoided if we just look at the text today. Now, on top of that, we usually have a few big questions that are rolling around in our mind almost all of the time. Should I ask this guy out? Should I ask this girl out? Should this relationship go deeper? Should I take that job? Should I buy this product, this house? Should I invest in this company? Now, the problem is the Bible does not specifically address all of those issues. There's not a verse in there that's going to say, yes, you need to invest in that. But the goal would be we all want to make better choices with better results. And here's the deal. If you're a Christ follower, you're like, I'm raising my hand. I fly the flag at the top of the pole. I'm a Christ follower. Then we're just not people who turn pages on a calendar. We're people who actually are here for a purpose to glorify Jesus Christ, to say we are not our own, we've been bought with a price. 
And so if our testimony is we've been bought with a price and the spirit of God indwells me, shouldn't it make a case for the people who are watching you? You know what? Those people consistently make some good choices. So the question then is, how does that, uh, how does that take place? And so 1 Kings chapter 3, we're in the year of the Bible. And if you, it's not too late to jump on, by the way. Uh, one of the best decisions you can make today is to simply jump on. It's April. It's not too late to jump on. All those free resources are there. Reading plans are there. Not too late to jump on. I'll push that every single Sunday until we get to the end of this year. So bottom line is this. Here's what's going on. Uh, 1 Kings 3 is about a guy in the Old Testament whose name is Solomon. All right, Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived, at least toward the end of his life. He, he got crazy at the end of his life, but for most of his life, he was one of the wisest people who ever lived. And we're at the start. He is the newly appointed king. He is overwhelmed with the responsibilities that he has in front of him, and he is desperate for God to give him some guidance. Chances are that you're here. Some of us are desperate for God to give us some guidance. What should I do to get this marriage out of the tailspin? What should I do to make sure that that prodigal has the most chance to come back? What should I do about the relational conflict that I'm in? All those things are in this text, believe it or not. So here we are. He's overwhelmed with new responsibility, and the Lord shows up to him and gives him an offer that you won't believe. Starting in verse 5, here's what it says. The at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, ask what I shall give you. Now, most everybody has had that question. If you had three wishes, what would you ask for? And you know the rules, you know, you're not supposed to ask for like three more wishes. You know, you've got to make the, you got to make the, you got to make the choice right there. Basically, that's what God shows up as Solomon. Solomon's a about 20 years old right now. Man, I look back when I was 20 years old, God shows up to me, what do you want? I'm not answering like Solomon. So he's already got some wisdom. But check out what goes on, verse six. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart towards you. Now, just a little bit of background. Solomon is David's son. Solomon is the son that came about when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, then had her husband killed to try to cover it up. And there's a ton of consequences in David's life because of what he did. He got forgiveness, but the consequences stayed in his family. But here we go, we got Solomon here. And Solomon, although he was born into privilege, he was born also into a messed up family. And the good news for you and I, and if you say, you know what? I was born into a messed up family. My family looks like the Jerry Springer show. The good news is God can still use you. As a matter of fact, the awesome thing about the Christian life is you can, you can be the new link in the chain that changes the rest of the whole future of your family. And so Solomon makes some great decisions, but check out what goes on. It says, you've kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Verse seven. And now, oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. He's talking about himself. Although I am but a little child. Now, by the way, this is, he's not talking, he's not a toddler. He's not a five-year-old. He's talking about a sense of humility. I'm just a baby. I'm just a child. I don't know how to make these decisions. I do not know how to go out or come in. That was actually an idiom about leadership. He's like, I'm about to go on and have to lead something that I have no business being able to lead. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. I need your help. And so that's what he asked for. 
And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Look, he's got God's agenda on his mind, not just his own. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Here's what he asked for. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Understanding mind is the idea of perception. It's the idea of, okay, I can choose between right and wrong. I'm gonna be able to see from your perspective what I should do to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Solomon is asking and he's saying, this is what I need, this is what I'm desperate for. And loved ones, whether you know it or not, this is what you and I need. This is what we have to be desperate for. Again, what he says is I need the idea to see things the way that you see them. I need the ability to discern right paths from wrong paths, joy from shame, specifically when the answer is not laid out. So let me just kind of put it all out there. There are some decisions that you're gonna have to make that are not clearly laid out in the Bible. There's some decisions you have to make that are not clearly laid out in the Bible. What should you do? Like who you are to marry, what job you should take, what financial choices are best? What is the best way to handle relational conflict? How do you lead in the midst of a global pandemic, okay? All of those things, there's no chapter in verse there. And so what he's gonna ask for is wisdom to know what to do in those situations where it is not clearly spelled out. Keller says this, wisdom is knowing how to navigate the realities of life when the rules do not help. I mean, so many different examples that I'll try to use today, but I'll give you an example just with it, because Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs and a couple of verses that are my favorite, don't look at them, but Proverbs 26, four says, answer not a fool according to his folly or you will be just like him. The very, so what he says is don't answer a fool or you're gonna like, the way grandmoms would say it is don't get in the mud with the pig because you'll both get dirty and only the pig will enjoy it. That's kind of a paraphrase of, of that verse. But the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. So which one is it? Do you answer him or do you not answer him? And being able to discern which is correct is what the Bible is calling, is calling wisdom. And so uh, wisdom, here's the idea. Wisdom is not Obi-Wan Kenobi. Wisdom is not theoretical. Wisdom is intensely practical. Wisdom is not even correlated to age. You can be an 80-year-old fool and a 25-year-old wise person. It is not about thinking the right stuff as much as it is thinking and then doing the right stuff. It's not about IQ. You can be a Mensa and be foolish in the way you and I live life. It's the ability to know what God wants you to do when it's not crystal clear. It's knowing that just because God said, don't do that, it doesn't mean God is saying to do it. Just because God says thou shalt not, wisdom means just because he said don't do it doesn't mean I should do it. And so here's kind of a, here's kind of a cornucopia of uh, all the different definitions of wisdom that I looked at this week. Wisdom can be defined as this, based on based on my past experience, based on my past history, based on my present reality, and based on my future goals and dreams, what is the good choice to make in this circumstance? Based on what my past is, based on what my present is, and based on what I want my future to be, what is the good choice? 
So Solomon knew he needed it. He recognized he doesn't have it. He's desperate for it. The question again is, are you and I desperate for it? Are you and I humble enough to ask for it? Verse seven, again, he says, I'm like a little child. I'm, I'm, like, a little, I'm like a little baby. I don't even know what to do. I'm that, that's dependence. I don't know what to do in my company. I don't know what to do in my marriage. I don't know what to do with my rebellious child. I don't know what to do with this relationship. That's humility. The awesome part of this is, the awesome smart part of this is what he's asking for God never in the scriptures. When we come to him and ask him for help in humility, I can't find a place where he says no. You and I come and we ask in humility, he answers yes every single time. So here's what we do, is instead of asking the best question, what is the wise thing to do? Uh, what we do is we ask the, what we think is a close cousin to it and it's really not even related. So instead of asking what is the wise thing to do, we ask this question, is there anything wrong with it? Is there anything wrong? Is there a chapter and verse that you can quote? Is there anything wrong with what I'm about to do? And the assumption is wrong. The assumption is if it's not illegal or if it's not immoral, then it's a valid choice for you and I to choose. And the problem with that question is the very next question is, and we don't usually verbalize it, you don't come to church and say this, but it basically goes along these lines. Once we say, is there anything wrong with it? The next question typically is, how close to the line can I get before falling over? And then the next question is, how far past the line can I get until the consequences start pouring in on my life? How long can I go down this destructive habit without it coming back on me? How long can I neglect my spouse until all hell breaks loose? How long can I do that until that happens? That's the question. And then the following question is always, man, how did I get myself into this mess? How was I so naive? How did I not miss the warning signs? So now that I can tell there's a little edge in here and you're kind of a little bit ticked off, even though it's spring break, let me uh, just give you some examples. When we ask questions like, again, how close can I get to the line of right and wrong before actually going over it? Christians would say it this way. We'd say, how, how far can I go until it's sin? That's the way we ask it. It sounds better that way, okay? How far can I go? And that's not the wise question. And so some examples, if you're single, and you're a Christian and you, you want God's best for your life and you're dating a guy, are you gonna be able to find a chapter in verse that says, thou shalt not watch a romantic movie all alone on the couch, snuggled up next to each other with nobody at home at one o'clock in the morning? You're not gonna find that. It's not in the verse. Matter of fact, that's legalistic to think that way. The question is not, is there a verse? The question is, is it wise? Is there anything really righteous ever happened between two single Christians at 2 a.m. in the morning on the couch? I'm just asking, probably not. Is it a wise thing if you're on a diet to go visit your friend who works at Krispy Kreme? I'm not saying, I'm not saying is it illegal? Is it, is it illegal? It's not, you're not gonna have a chapter and verse. There's nowhere in first hesitations that says, thou shalt not go to Krispy Kreme, okay? And your buddy might go, you know, your skinny buddy might be able to go to Krispy Kreme all they want to, and it's okay. But you're on a diet and you got goals and you got, you know what? My past says, my past says that when I go to Krispy Kreme, I eat Krispy Kreme. When I go to Krispy Kreme and I eat Krispy Kreme, I lose the goals that I have. 
And so Skippy might be able to go to Krispy Kreme if you have this past and this present and this future, that is not a wise decision to make. All right, let me just kind of go ahead and dig on in. Parents, is it a wise decision? There is no verse in the Bible that is gonna say, thou shalt send your junior high or your senior high student to wake weekend. There's not a verse in there. Is that a wise thing to send your junior high or your senior high student to wake weekend? Of course it is. You want them to have a godly peer group. You want them to be encouraged. You want them to be taught the word. And so the question is, is it wise to send her to cheerleading camp or wake weekend? Is it wise for them to go to that umpteenth baseball select team? Or is it okay? Is it wise to say, you know what? They need to be around some godly, godly people. Because you know what? Bottom line, he ain't getting drafted, okay? He's just not getting drafted. I don't mean to point, I don't mean to pop the bubble. He's not paying for your retirement, all right? It's just not gonna happen. You're like, it happened one time. Yeah, one time. That's called grace is what that's called, right? It's all that's called. How about this? Uh, is it... Uh, You're, you're, let me go, you're, you're divorced and you are, uh, the ink is barely dry on the paper and it was, it was uh, pretty brutal and uh, you're pretty angry. Um, is there a verse that says, thou shalt not go out with your three friends who are all divorced and when they invite you to go to the club right after your divorce, is there a verse there? Probably not a verse there. Is that a wise thing to do? It's not a wise thing to do at all. It's a, it's a foolish thing to do. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. I could, I could give you a laundry list of stuff that I know is not wise, even though I can't chapter and verse you all the time for just for me. So instead of picking on you, let me give you a few. I know for a fact that if I miss more than one day of personal Bible study and prayer time, I get, I'm a jerk to be around. And you're like, well, you're in the Bible all the time. I'm talking about, whether you know this or not, preachers actually need to feed themselves the word of God, not just read it to feed you. Because what happens is, if that's all that happens and all I'm doing is reading it to get up sermons, then I end up shriveling up like a dry vine. And so what I know is if I go for a day or two and I don't personally get in there and like God start to rummage around in my heart, what's going to happen is I just begin to shrivel up. Okay. Uh, here's another one. I know, I know, and this was particularly true when the boys were at the house, but it's even true now. I know that if I fall into that, get consumed with work and get consumed with church and get consumed with ministry and start missing all the different things that I'm supposed to be at family-wise, at some point that's going to come to a head and it's not going to be pretty. Here's one that, listen to, remember what the definition was. Wisdom is making the best choice based on your past, based on your present, and based on your future. So again, we're not talking about chapter and verse. We're talking about good choices that lead to something besides remorse and regret. So here's one, and some of you are like, well, you're being hard. Here's what I know, because my deal is there's two types, of, two types of music. The best type of music is worship music, and the second type of, it's really, there's three. There's worship music, and then there's country music, and then there's Western music. Those are the three best types of music, in my opinion, all right? That's just me. But here's what I know. What I know is that if I give a steady diet, because I love, I love country and Western music. I love it. I love the stories that it tells, all right? If you go in my truck, it's, it's got, that's the stations on it, all right? It takes a couple of stations to get over to the message. It takes a couple of them to get over to 106. I'm just, hey, it's real, all right? It's number six. It's not number one. So I've got these stations. 
What I know is this, if I give myself a steady diet, a steady diet of Toby Keith or Garth Brooks, and I do that over a period of days, that is not good for my sanctification. It's just not. And part of it is my past. That is my past. I didn't come to Christ till I was 17. And so I had a lot of C&W in my system before I ever came to Christ. And so if I'm not careful, listening to too much of that takes me back to Babylon. And say, so, well, there's anything wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. But the question for me is, is that a wise thing to do? Again, we could just go on the laundry list again. Um, let me go, uh, if, you, uh, you have, if you have a history of abusing a credit card, if you have a history of maxing out your credit cards, is it a wise thing when somebody comes up and says, hey, here's another credit card for you. Is that a wise thing for you to take another credit card out while you haven't paid off your previous ones? Okay, is it wrong? Does the Bible absolutely forbid debt? It doesn't absolutely forbid debt. It cautions and warns us against debt. But the question is, when you have three maxed out and somebody's offering you, it's, it's priceless what they're offering you, is it a wise choice to go ahead and open up a fourth one? Probably not, probably not. So um, Solomon writes Proverbs and he, he lists four kinds of people. One of them is the wise person. And that's what we want to be. We want to make wiser decisions more of the time for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom, correct? That's what we want to be. I, mean, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning like, you know what, I want to be an idiot today. Man, I just want to be an idiot. I can't wait. That's my goal today. I want to be an idiot. Nobody says that. Nobody wakes up and go, you know what, I want to flush my life down the toilet today. Nobody says that. Nobody says, you know what, on this business trip, guess what I'm going to do? I'm gonna lose my marriage and my kids will never look at me the same. Nobody gets on the plane thinking that's gonna happen. So what, what Solomon does is says there's two ways to look at life. One of them is through the lens of trying to pursue God and be a wise person. And then he actually, the other one is in, a, in an umbrella sense, it's just the fool, but he actually breaks down the fool into a few different types of fools. First one is just a simple person. Proverbs talks about the simple person. The simple person is not a bad person. They're just inexperienced. They're just naive. They're, it's kind of like a five-year-old boy. I mean, how a five-year-old boy ever makes it to six, it's just a miracle of God. It's like all the jungle gyms and trees and all that kind of stuff. You're like, they just don't know. They just go, hey, look at me. I can jump off this 10-foot wall. No, you can't. No. They just don't know. Okay, That's the simple person. Another word, Paul, or another word Solomon uses is called, typically it's translated fool. Fool, this is the bad one. The fool knows his choices are wrong, but the fool doesn't care. And Proverbs gives us this visual, which is pretty gross and it's hard to get out of your head, but Proverbs 26 says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so fools repeat their folly. And so here's what Solomon is saying to us today. If there's an area in your life where you tell yourself, I know this is wrong, I know this is destructive, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm probably gonna repeat it after that. Solomon would say, in that area of your life, in that area of your life, you're a fool. And while, here's the hard part, while time is typically the cure for the simpleton, really the only cure for the fool is tragedy. 
What has to happen is the rug typically has to get jerked out from under them because the fool keeps saying, it's my life, I can do what I want, it's my body, it's my time, it's my money, this does not affect anybody else, I'm not hurting anybody. Doesn't that sound like a fool? And listen to me, parents especially, here's the problem with that, is with the fool, there is always collateral damage. There's always collateral damage. Proverbs says as much, he says, a companion of fools suffers harm. The fool's companion, whether that's the spouse, the parents, the brother, the sister, the employee, the children, the friend cannot escape the consequences of the fool's wrong choices. And the tragedy of being a fool is that eventually that is going to hurt other people who you say that you love. The other one, by the way, is simply just the scoffer. It's like a, that's like a fool on steroids. That's the one that is not just makes bad choices and makes immoral choices and makes wrong choices. They scoff at those who try to make the right choices. That's the last one. So the question then on the floor is, how do I get some of that stuff? How do I make better decisions more of the time for the glory of God and for the flourishing and joy of my own soul? How do I make those? Well, let's spend the rest of the time on this one. How do I get it? Now, before I even put these up, you almost have to say, I want it, or you're not gonna get it. Because there's some things that God puts right in front of us as a resource for wisdom that we're like, I want you to answer it a different way. I mean, almost every preacher has used that old illustration about the guy, he falls off the cliff and he's hanging on by a branch. He's just barely hanging on. He's like, God, please save me from this predicament. He's holding on barely. And about that time, a hiker comes by, sees him, drops a rope down there, says like, hey, grab hold of the rope. He's like, no, I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on God to save me. And he gets up to heaven. He's like, God, I prayed that you would provide a miracle. He's like, I provided a miracle. The hiker came by, he offered you the rope in the same way. Some of the ways God's gonna pour this into you are not through a dream. They're through some of these basic things that we talk about all the time. The first one is this, just ask God for wisdom. Just ask him. It's like, man, I really need to know whether I should return this, this phone call. And I really need to know whether I should show up for this meeting. Man, I really need to know whether I should take this job. I really need to know whether I should move my family to Peoria, Illinois. I really need to, you really need, and you're not gonna find a verse in here, so just you ask God for wisdom. And a lot of you are like, well, I, I read this book and it, I, man, if, if, I tell you what, if God ever shows up to me, Bruce, and asks me what I want, that's what I'll ask for. Well, two things about that. Number one is the Bible actually says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And if you know Jesus and he's put his spirit on the inside of you, then guess what? You can actually have, you can actually have more wisdom than Solomon. The New Testament says one greater than Solomon is here. He's talking about Jesus. But secondly, what you need to kind of know is this, is that when it comes to promises in the Old Testament, one of the ways you know, and that you don't get way off track, by the way, one of the ways you know is a promise in the Old Testament good for you to claim, so to speak, in the New Testament. There's a few different ways. One of the main ways is, is that promise from the Old Testament, is that repeated in the New Testament? Is it repeated in the New Testament so that you're not claiming some promise that was just specifically, let's say, to Israel or Samson or Abraham, all right? And the good news is, in this case, in the New Testament, the half-brother of Jesus says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody, like, man, my wife is so mad at me. I don't know what to do. 
that would be, you need some wisdom right there. So if any of you, anybody, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Ask God, God, what should I do? What should I do in this situation? Here's the good news. And he gives generously. Some of your translations say he gives without reproach. And maybe you're like me. When you make a dumb mistake and it gets you into a bad situation, you think sometimes you do gotta give God some time to cool off because he's up in heaven going, Frank got himself in another situation because of his dumb moves. And I gotta get, I'm gonna put him in timeout for a while and then after a while he can come and ask me. And here's where you gotta go, all the stuff has gotta go back and be rooted in the gospel, all right? The gospel is that Jesus took my punishment for me. That all the reason that God had to be mad at me, all the justice, all the wrath that I deserve, Jesus took on himself. So what's left for me is grace. And so when I humbly come and say, God, I blew it, help me on this, he gives generously without reproach and it will be what? Given to him. You just ask. What should I do in this situation for the glory of God, the flourishing of my soul? What should, what should I do? Now, you just need to understand this too. The Bible, Proverbs says it this way. Solomon will later write this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we kind of freak out about that in the New Testament saints and we're like, fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord. Doesn't mean that you are terrified necessarily of him, but it means there's great reverence for him. It's kind of like you would look at the, Maybe like you would look at the sun up in the sky. You don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, sun's up there. You don't do that. But there's like a healthy respect there. And if you kind of get sloppy and you get a little careless with the sun, it can actually kind of burn you some. So you are respectful of that. You don't treat the sun casually. Now the Bible does say if you're in Christ, you talk to God like Abba Father. But it also says he's a holy and righteous and just judge and so here's the idea. When you're thinking about sinning or you have sinned, you just don't feel like that, that guilt that God is putting on you to run in repentance back to God. There's even a little bit of a sense of fear. A little bit of a sense of fear. Even though, even though I knew my dad loved me, there was that sense of righteous fear when the words came out of my mom's mouth, wait until your dad gets home. Wait until your dad gets home. From that point until he got home, I tried to redeem the time as best I could. How can I get back in my mother's good graces so for some reason when six o'clock comes around, she will think I'm not gonna tell dad. There was a righteous fear and that's what it is when we say the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so part of that means you're gonna put your yes on the table. So here it is, you need wisdom for money, you need wisdom for an investment, you need wisdom for your marriage, you need wisdom for a relationship, you need wisdom for some area of your life. The question is, is your yes already on the table? Fear of the Lord means, all right, I'm asking, but when you tell it to me, I'm going to do it. I'm not gonna treat you like a cafeteria. Second would be this, just read your Bible as much as you can. The whole year of the Bible, it's not about me having 50 weeks of sermons planned out. The year of the Bible is to do all we can to get as many as we can personally getting in this book by themselves. That's what it is. The biggest joy is for you to go, I can read that. 
It's for you to get on one of that 52 week plan or that 200 and some odd plan or that 365 plan. And it's like God begins to tell you. Now, let's be clear again. You're not gonna get a direct answer to every single question that you have. There was no verse in this book that said, you, my friend, are to marry Lori Masters. Okay, there was, there was no verse in there. I looked, all right, there's no verse in there. There was no verse 13 years ago that said, you need to move from Houston to beautiful Western North Carolina. There was none, there was no verse. There's not even a verse that says, yeah, move out to Mills River where the tax base is a little bit lower. There was, no, there was a few Proverbs that hinted at it, but there was no verse that said, yes, you are to buy that house. As a matter of fact, if you do that, sometimes people do, a lot of Christians do this, like God told me X, Y, and Z. You know, God told me to marry Mary because I heard the Christmas story right after we met or something like that. And you're like, that's not the way the Bible's used. But what you will see is you will get clarity. Clarity means what's the next step I should take? What's the next thing that I should take? And so when we read it, it's kind of like a, um, it's like when you put, I see some of y'all and I, some of y'all have glasses on. Do y'all remember a couple of years ago, those, it's like in COVID years, it's like eight years ago, but it's really probably just two years ago. And I came up here one time because I had glasses. They gave me glasses. And man, I wore them one time. Number one, because it fogged up. The more I sweated, the more it just would fog up. So I couldn't even see y'all, couldn't see the notes, okay? And secondly, it was what they call the, uh, was it bifocals or whatever, where you see that and you're like, why didn't you get contacts? I can't get contacts in my eye. I can't. I don't know what it is with somebody coming at my eye like that. It just closes. Anyway, pray for me. So I'm trying to get these things. But what happens is, what I found out, the more I've worn glasses to read, the more I get used to them. Because initially it was really awkward. I was like, man, I don't see very well in here. And it's kind of blurry. And I would look, I would try to look close out the top part and try to look near at the bottom. And it was all, but after a while, I'm like, yeah, I wear them virtually all the time that I'm reading. In some ways, that's what it's like when you get in the Bible. At first, it's kind of fuzzy. At first, you're like, I'm not really sure what that means. What is all this stuff about, you know, whether it be, you, you know, a lot of y'all were like, I'm dying in the book of Deuteronomy reading plan, okay? I'm dying there. Well, just hold on, hold on. You're about to get to some, some easier stuff. God will give you clarity, obviously, about himself. We talked about this throughout the whole thing. All 66 of these books are telling one big story. It's God's rescue plan. Even while you were a sinner, even while we had rebelled, God wants to rescue you through the person and work of his son. That's what the big picture is. You'll get clarity on that. And then the rest of our life is how do we reflect? How do we reflect the gospel that saved us? So let me go back. When you read the Bible, if you'll just ask that question, if I were gonna reflect the goodness of God and the gospel, what would that mean when it comes to apologizing first when my spouse and I have a fight? What would that look like by the way that I handle the money that God has allowed me to have? What would that look like when somebody offends me or criticizes me and tells me how I'm supposed to respond? What does that do? I'll just go on the floor and say one of the wisest things you could do is simply jump into the year of the Bible. Just text the word Bible to 28282 and you'll jump on a reading plan and just read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. We got read, there's a listening app. You can put an Australian accent on that listening app. I mean, how much easier can it be than having an Australian person read the Bible to you on your commute? I submit it doesn't get much easier. Here's the last one, is get some godly counsel. I need to know what to do, get some godly counsel. 
Does it not seem ironic that professional athletes need coaches? Didn't that ever seem weird to y'all? Is it not weird that like Clayton Kershaw, is it not weird that Clayton Kershaw, obviously the best pitcher in baseball right now, has to have a pitching coach to tell him how to pitch? This guy can put a baseball on the corner of a plate, 60 feet, six inches away, time after time after time, on demand, and there's an old guy over there that is coaching him who can barely see 60 feet, six inches. And it's like, that guy's gonna tell that guy what to do? They all have coaches, why? Because they know they have to have another set of eyes that look and see into their life what they cannot see themselves. That's just called community. In my opinion, that is why the last year for so many of us have been so unhealthy because you dropped out of community. Now understand online is a supplement. It is not the same thing as being in community with looking people eye to eye. I've seen more tears in the last few weeks as people have gotten vaccinated and come back for the first time than I've seen probably in, in, in 10 years. Why is that? Is there something God does when you're with other people? Here's what Proverbs 13 says. It says, whoever walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. As one guy put it, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me who you're hanging around, fast forward five years, that's who you will be. You won't be with the wrong crowd, you will be the wrong crowd. So the question for you is, uh, how many wise people do you have speaking into your life? You're like, well, I don't know if they're wise or not. Here's a thought. Uh, how, how long does it take them to get to anything remotely concerning what God might have said about a situation? Remember how many times people came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what about this? What about my inheritance? Or what about this? Or what about religion? 25 times alone, just in the gospels, Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. They'd come up to him, what about this? It is written. He would just go back to it. How long does it take the people around you when you say, what should I do about my girlfriend? What should I do about my money? What should I do about my kids? What should I do about my marriage? Uh, how long does it take them to get there? So we're talking about good godly counsel. How teachable are you when they do that? On a scale of one to five, when somebody confronts you, how open are you for that? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to close with this. I'm gonna, this is not confessions of the pastor. Uh, for years, I hate, I mean, I could say I hated being corrected. Hated being corrected. I mean, just ask my wife. I mean, she's like, you're not always right, but you're always sure. I mean, that is like the <laughs> deal in our house. And like, I always hated being corrected. About 12 years ago, I was doing the Proverbs every day. There's 31 Proverbs. I was doing it all the time. Doing it all the time. And in Proverbs 12, this verse jumped out and it said simply this, he who hates correction is stupid. Now listen, I know, I know some of you don't like that said in your house. You're like, we don't say that in our house. Well, we say it in this house, okay? So the Bible says, he who hates, he who hates correction is stupid. Now, true confessions, I don't know anybody that loves correction. It's like, oh, tell me where I'm messing up. I don't know anybody that likes that. But I will just say this. I don't hate it anymore. I don't hate it anymore. Even if, even if the email is just crazy, I've learned to say, you may be right. 
So if you get that response, by the way, <laughs> just, hey, you may be right. That's not always good. So um, let me do this. Let me, I, I probably ought to close up telling you my secrets. So here, uh, here's the deal. I want you to raise your hand, whether you're at Brevard, whether you're at Franklin, whether you're here at Arden, Hendersonville, West, East, just as a sign of humility. How, and I'm not gonna have you keep them up during the whole prayer. But how many would say there's something, something right now, financial, marital, relational, something, man, I really need to get some insight from God on what I should do. Just hold them up for like 10 seconds. Just kind of hold them up. I really need some wisdom. Man, look at that. That's so good. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Uh, you have said that we have not because we ask not. And when we ask, we ask with the wrong motives. God, help our motives to be the glory of God, the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. And then thirdly, just the flourishing of our souls. God, our delight in you is a great advertisement for how good you are. So God, we wanna put our yes on the table and then tell us what we need to do. I wanna pray for our church as we kind of emerge from this, give us wisdom, but God, every single person that raised their hand, every single person that says, I'm asking, I need some insight. My prayer right now is that you would give them clarity for at least the next step. Give them the next step to take in that marriage, at that home, with that child, on that team, in that connect group, whatever that is, give them clarity to take the next step for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.